Hello and welcome to the Grand Cinema Hotel, a podcast hosted by two friends who love cinema. I'm Oliver and I'm joined by my co-host Gus. Tonight you'll be staying in room 145, Poltergeist, the supernatural suburban nightmare directed by Toby Hooper. So go ahead, get comfortable and throw on that do not disturb sign as we converse with the white noise in Poltergeist. Son of a bitch, you moved the cemetery, but you left the bodies, didn't you? Son of a bitch, you left the bodies and you only moved the headstones! You only moved the headstones! Why? Why? What is going on on my Suburbanites? Thank you for checking back in to the Grand Cinema Hotel. Uh, as always, do not forget to like, subscribe, comment, press all the buttons. I'm not going to go on too long with that. You already know what to do. If you want to do it, go ahead and do it. Uh, we are back for the third Halloween spooky season episode. Uh, we're back with our second Toby Hooper movie, right? Toby yeah. Hooper movie. Um, Poltergeist. Alvaro, first thoughts on Poltergeist. What's up, guys? Yeah, Poltergeist. Um, I did think it was funny we kind of brought this up. Last week when we were talking about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and it kind of um, put me in a, I guess, in thoughts that we had talked about that we kind of both enjoyed this movie. And um, so rewatching was really fun. Um, the last time I had seen this movie was probably around uh, middle school. And then whenever the remake came out, I saw that. I've never seen the remake. And the remake is just almost a shot by shot. So um the remake really made me realize how much I um, was like, I want to go watch the original. And um, I hadn't done that in a while, though. And this was the first time in probably a couple, like five or six years that I had re-seen it. And I guess after watching so many horror movies this month, I really appreciated how good of a film it is, really. And I, I almost kind of feel like it's a little underrated. Um, the reasons why we'll obviously talk about later in this episode. But I hadn't um, I really enjoyed watching this film. Yeah, so uh, I didn't grow up with this movie. I didn't see this movie until I was already in like my mid-20s. Um, I don't even know why I had avoided it for so long. I think it's because I had seen the, like, is it a Steven Spielberg movie? Is it a to Toby Hooper movie? And I think even back then, I was a fan of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but I didn't really know who Toby Hooper was. Right. And I, when I think of that movie, I wasn't thinking, oh, Toby Hooper. You know, I just thought of the movie as its own thing. Like I had said last week, kind of like its own like little piece of found footage that I'm not supposed to be looking exactly. at. Exactly. So um, one day I just decided to throw it on. I can't remember if we've ever watched it together or not, but I do know the first time I seen it, I was not the biggest fan. I just, I thought it was kind of slow. I thought it was paced kind of weird. And I just didn't find it that satisfying. And I don't know, over time, what made me decide to just throw it on again one day. I was like, let me give this movie another shot, because I don't remember liking it. You know, maybe it was just a bad day. Maybe I was tired, whatever. And uh, I watched it with my wife maybe, like, six months ago, and I was just blown away. I was like, this is so fucking good. Like, I, I honestly do think it's, like, a masterpiece in horror. I think it's an overall great film. It just so happens to have, like, supernatural elements going exactly. on in it. Um. And I can also see how it's a template for a lot of other movies. Like, we had discussed this movie once before on the horror movie showdown. I can't remember how far it made it. I think it may have made it past the first round, but it unfortunately wasn't a, a top eight movie, so we didn't talk about it. But I really do like this movie um, so much more as time goes on. I don't know what changed, really, but 
you know, my eyes are open now. And I'm like, whoa, this <laughs> right. was I thinking, you, you know? <laughs> you know what I find interesting about the, the dynamic between us two is uh, in relationship to Toby Hooper is that I had never seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre and yeah. I knew him for this. You know what I mean? And yeah. I didn't I didn't know much about him, but I knew he was the guy who did Poltergeist. <laughs> yeah. And then I didn't up until recently make the connection. And it's, uh, it's, it's interesting to say the least just because it almost feels like something like, damn, this is in front of my face, something that I would have really liked or a director's work that I should have been checking out. And now I'm trying to like realizing that and it's just kind of finding like one of your new favorite little niche directors, you know, which he's not because a lot of people who really like horror obviously like his work. But to me, it feels that way. I mean, the movie feels underrated and so does Toby Hooper. Right. right. And I mean, I know we're uh, we're Tobe heads this month. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I do think that, you know, I, I do want to get into the controversy a bit. You know, who directed this movie? It's a, the conversation is as old as the movie itself. Right. And. From both sides, it's been, you know, there's been things said from both sides that um, just are conflicting reports, you know. But um, the creation of this movie is interesting. It is a Steven Spielberg story, so he, you know, he wanted to do a, a ghost story movie, um, but he didn't have. There's a lot. There's a lot of conflicting reports, right? So it's like, did he, did he do this because he was making ET? And there was going to be a director strike, but to me that doesn't really make sense because like, wouldn't a director strike affect Toby Hooper as well? I just think he wanted to get a movie made, and you know, he kind of took that next step of I'm going to be an executive producer because this is the first time that he was an executive producer. So I do see how he could he was maybe heavy handed with the on set stuff, right? But I do see this as a Toby Hooper movie now that I've you know done my research and I've you know, just kind of looked around and seen what people have said. And then just watching the movie itself, I, I do think, yeah, this is a Toby Hooper movie. But, of course, it's going to have the Spielberg touch because it's, when you think of movies, you think of Steven Spielberg. So I think you got to give him the credit, uh, Toby Hooper, for it. But it definitely seems like it's something like at least a 70, 30, 60, 40. You know what I mean? Or it seems like just because the movie has so much influence in Steven Spielberg in that era and in terms of, I feel like how the kid the kid is a lot it's a lot could fit in any of Steven Spielberg's movies. Yeah, so Spielberg wrote this movie too with two other guys. So you know you're feeling the influence from all angles. Mm -hmm. Like if it's three like three fourths of this is Spielberg and one fourth is Hooper, but you know he's he's doing the directing, which is exactly making this movie like as good as it is. You know, I know Steven Spielberg made a lot of adjustments and made a lot of calls, but I still think you know. This isn't an auteur movie, I think is what I'm trying to say. And I, I know people are trying to make it seem like it is. Like that Toby Hooper was just some body puppet used by Spielberg to get the movie made. Yeah, yeah. But I don't no. feel that way at yeah. all. I see what you're saying. And I think um, there's a reason why if there was somebody who wanted to be the puppet, I think we've kind of talked about this before with Spielberg is um, Robert Zemeckis, right? In terms of uh, Roger Rabbit. And it does seem like, and Back to the Future as well, because those are both Spielberg movies. Yeah, see, and, that, and to be a little bit more, I guess, distinguished between the two, it seems like Robert Zemeckis is more, quote-unquote, of a puppet type of figure than Toby Hooper would be. <laughs> Dude. And, <laughs> um, I had read this article on a website called uh, Hollywood in Toto. Who knows how reliable this is, but I just thought it was interesting because the writer was defending Toby Hooper, and uh, he was just saying, why is why was Toby Hooper considered the victim of this when no one considers yeah Robert Zemeckis to be like that or um or Joe Dante who made Gremlins which is also a Steven oh, okay. Spielberg movie and when you do watch those movies they feel heavy like, influence yeah, yes, yeah. Like I didn't Spielberg, know that you know and this um this was kind of the beginning of Amblin Entertainment as well that makes or sense. whatever it's called 
I think it's called Amblin Entertainment. Yeah. Um, so the the producer Frank Marshall, he, uh, who worked on this as well, is Spielberg's partner producer. They founded Amblin together. He's married to Kathleen Kennedy. He's now the head of uh, or the president of uh, Lucas Films. So, of course, it's going to have the Spielberg touch. Yeah. Like it's a uh, it is it's his studio. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it was born from his idea. And because it's one of the first ones and stuff, I feel I feel like uh knowing how to let more loose being as an executive producer, maybe at first it's maybe a little harder. Maybe you do approach it more of as a director, so you kinda have more of your heavy handedness in it. Which this movie has a lot of, but it's not I don't think it works against it though. Yeah, and I've also seen the uh seen it seen the story that like okay so when the filming ended toby hooper went to go edit the movie and steven spielberg went to go do the effects at ilm and that was where they kind of branched off into doing their two parts right but then i've I've also seen spielberg say that he was in the editing booth as well so i think he wanted the credit for this movie but at the end of the day i also see it as spielberg just wanting the movie to get made and not caring about the credit that yeah. much. Yeah. And I mean, I, I do feel like there's a... This is um, after, obviously, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. So I do think there is some type of trusting Toby Hooper, what he is going to yeah, bring that, to the that's game. A, yeah, yes, that's a good point. And just because... Also, again, talking about there is some parts in here that does feel like it's more up his alley than it would be Steven Spielberg's. And that mesh collab worked really well. And I think maybe that's why it's a little underrated. It's maybe... I don't know. People kind of obviously there, there's two like two types of tones in this film. And sometimes like you're talking about like without it's just a really good film that has some horror elements into it. But the horror elements are they're really good. And yeah, then and I know Spielberg made Jaws. But who, wh- where did you think all this horror stuff comes from? You know, like, yeah, there's small pieces of it in things like Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like, you know, the melting face in Poltergeist, the melting face in Raiders. But like, doesn't that feel so much like Toby Hooper's hands? You know what I mean? It's all the horror shit. <laughs> you know what? Just to get myself a little forward here, something that I was watching yesterday that really made me feel that way, where I was like, well, Steven Spielberg was definitely heavy-handedness in this, and the dolly zoom in it, which is, like, really good. But it's often, like, he does that a lot, and he was doing it in Jaws. So it was, like, one of my favorite shots in the whole film, but I was like, I wonder how much influence or who, who directed that shot, you know? Yeah. I mean, I overall, I do think there's a lot of there's been so much drama and like I'm reading my notes here and like, I don't know how much I actually want to get into this now that I'm here on the pod. But there was a lawsuit involved with this, too, like by the DGA suing Steven Spielberg for kind of discrediting Toby Hooper. He had to end up paying him like 15,000 extra. Oh, wow. (laughs) And just I. Like, okay, here's one quote. It was like, the creative force of the movie was Steven. Toby was the director and was on set every day, but Steven did the design for every storyboard, and he was on the set every day, except for three days when he was in Hawaii with George Lucas. However, Hooper stated that he did fully half of the storyboards. So I don't understand why they want to, like, discredit each other when it's honestly a beautiful collaboration. Yeah. Like, we should be happy that we like, got something like this, you know? And then later on in Steven Spielberg's career, it's the same thing with Stanley Kubrick and AI. Like it's Stanley Kubrick's AI directed by Steven Spielberg, you know. Yeah. So, but there, I, I would like to see this more. Actually, <laughs> I feel like the the reason that even exists like that there's there's a mutual respect there, and that's why it's even like uh, Stanley Kubrick's AI directed by, as opposed to they could have probably done something like that for this. But then in terms of maybe them both seeing like, no, I directed this, I directed this. But I mean, there's a reason the studio decided who directed this, right? Yeah. And I mean, I know, I know 
Toby Hooper has said many times that he was like so appreciative of going through this experience because it was like I learned so much. I learned everything I knew about practical and special effects doing this um, because of ILM. And then also having the Spielberg experience of like going through his film school. And I mean, you could be a John Carpenter about this thing and be like, I don't fucking like his movies anyways. What the fuck does he know? But I think it's cool that he just like dove right in and was like, I'm going to learn as much as I can from one of the great all time filmmakers. I mean, at that time, I know he hadn't made a ton of movies, but he had made Jaws and he had made Close Encounters and he was making E.T., you know, so at this point, it, yeah, it is Steven Spielberg, you know what yeah. I mean? So I just think it's cool. <laughs> I don't really have too much more to say about it, but I think it's honestly a beautiful collaboration. And I mean, to this day, even Steven Spielberg hasn't dove himself into a horror movie that's this horror-based, right? This is the highest influence he's had in terms of actually getting close to directing one. So I feel like that's maybe in terms of... The type of person that he is doesn't really come off as somebody who could be a director of horror. Maybe he doesn't really buy himself into that. He has great horror moments, but he's not a horror director. Yeah. Same way he's not a comedy director. And I like that he trusts himself in that, yeah. you know? But, yeah, I mean, we could stop talking about that, but it is something we obviously had to point out. Yeah, because it, it's, it's so old, and it doesn't even really matter, honestly. And, yeah, I mean, there's a reason why I think moving forward, a lot of the movie I've seen has credentials or it's directed by Toby Hooper. And I feel like that's for a reason. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, dude, he made the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, exactly. You know I mean? Let's like, come like on. Nobody. Yeah. <laughs> I know he was a, sm- you know, indie, indie was his world, but it's like, show some damn respect, yeah. dude. This guy made an all time great horror movie. Come on. Um, I do think the big standout of this movie, there's many standouts in this movie. I honestly do think it's like, in my opinion, a perfect movie. Mm-hmm. I, I, I know I'm not crazy in saying that. That's not like a hot take or anything, but I love every aspect of it, honestly. I love the writing. I love the cinematography. I love the way it's edited. I like the music. And I really like the effects. And I think that's the huge standout for everybody. Exactly. Right? Yeah. I think uh, for me, it's kind of touching a little bit back into the collaboration, though. It seems like the ambiance is always there here. There's always horror even before you really get to know what's up, like what's going on. And I think even the fact that there's a lot of those subliminal 80s type of themes here, like with America that we've come across and seeing. And I think um, like the kind of the TV being on and then and like um, I'm not sure. Star Spangled sh- Banner point. Yeah, Star Spangled Banner. I was like. So I, lo- I know about that. Um, do you remember? I'm sure you do. When we were younger, that TV would end and it would be infomercials. Exactly. So back in the day when the national broadcast would end, it would play the Star Spangled Banner. But I'm sure there's a million theories on what that means. You yeah, know yeah. What I mean? Like, oh man, actually, the villain is capitalism. Because, I, yeah, well, because I feel like you know, you could always make the connection, right? This is um, maybe why I like this film a lot too. But it's a suburbia in California, and this is like when people started building the suburbia. The villain is you capitalism. Know. Yeah, and I do think that the fact that it's just kind of playing back there, and then it goes to static has those those themes aren't themes that you have to really obviously see throughout the movie, but they're there. And I do think that I like that, um, the ambiance that cr- that creates, because there's a horror aspect in that already, because you're like this, it being too quiet, it's unsettling, everything's the same. Is yeah. There's there's something's going to go wrong, you know? And yeah. I think that's kind of like even what David Lynch likes to play on, that type of like, thing. Definitely. So, I mean, I go going back to Steven Spielberg and Toby Hooper, I think they both... Um, convey like classic Americana but in different ways mm-hmm. like Toby Hooper's 
Texas Chainsaw Massacre looks like one of the most American-looking things you've seen, Exactly. Right? But Steven Spielberg's view of, like, American suburbia and the American family. Yeah, I, I could see where, I see where you're going with it, yeah. you know what I mean? But, it, again, that's why I think the the collaboration here works so well because then the scenes that we do get where things get out of hand, I think that's what Toby Hooper being able to do the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and we know he could take it there, applies those type of mechanics or techniques into certain um, scenes or, you know, yeah, scenes, I would say. So, so tying it back to the effects a little bit, I'm glad you brought that up right now about Toby Hooper taking it there because when we talked about, I'm just going to refer to it as TCM because it's long. <laughs> when we were talking about TCM, um, one of our, not issues, but, but um, things we realized uh, upon rewatching was that it wasn't as violent as we thought it was. Yeah. And this really does take it there with yeah. the effects, you know, like one of my favorites is the zombie face melting. I, know. I honestly think that's so good. Um, I don't know if you saw, it was, it was perfect timing that because this is the 40th anniversary, which you had brought up to me. Um, you know, clips are going around on Twitter again, and the ABC edited version of the face melting scene is so funny. I haven't, I haven't come across that. Basically, everything like he just looks in the mirror, and for like ten seconds, he kind of freaks out and realizes he's getting older, and then it just like cuts and it goes back to normal. And that's it. <laughs> yeah. I did want to bring up some, an interesting, I guess, little story about that is um, when I watch these movies, my brother's usually next to me, and he's kind of like half watching him, watching something else or playing. But I always know the movie's getting kind of good because he always kind of side watches it, and if it's getting good, he like kind of just stops doing what he's doing and starts watching it. But that's he how did, he gets killed in Fortnite. Yep, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. But I think um, he he didn't really know about this movie, and I didn't tell him about it before anything before I started watching it. And he brought up kind of how do you remember how this movie's been spoofed by um, Family Guy? Yeah, there's an episode. Yeah, so my brother had no recollection of obviously the movie, but he was like, "This is that movie that this spoofed in Family Guy, right?" (laughs) But that got him interested in it because he's like, he knew like I guess what the dynamic of the story was, but now he because after he watched, he's like, "That was good, like that." And I was like, "Well, sometimes you know things that they spoof are because they're so good, and then they're like, okay, like we could probably make money off of making fun of this, yeah, and 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 just associating it anyway." And that's one of these because I was like, um, we were laughing because like the old the the lady that comes at the end, the older lady. Yeah. Like it's Consuelo and family guy. I bet you it's Roger in American. Dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I just, I just thought it was funny, you know, cause um, it is one of those that, you know, scary movie does all the spoofs and stuff. And um, scary movie two is also based on it's a lot of this movie too. So That's this movie has been spoofed a lot. And uh, my brother had a lot more, um, experience with the spoofs but it's interesting to still be like this movie still is really good even though it gets made fun of a lot that's so funny because last week i had a moment just like that i was a uh, with one of my little cousins and he was showing me tiktoks and it was one of goku and i was like do you know who that is and he's like yeah he's in Fortnite." oh my like, god yeah. <laughs> yeah, he hit me with the yeah, that's goku from Fortnite. you know what i mean so <laughs> I never felt so old. <laughs> but uh, getting back to Poltergeist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is it is spoofed a lot and I um, when I was doing my research I did remember that the uh the American Dad one is actually the house becomes haunted by like the ghost of Francine's sexual frustration. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I, I love those two shows so and then uh, especially when this family guy episode came out when we were watching it all the time so it obviously is a standout one, and the the scene that you had just brought up that we were talking about the effects going back to that. The that's why it reminded me because yeah. Peter's the one that does it, and he gets like you know, it's just comical. But in terms of um, that's the only effect I think though that 
you could obviously see it's a fake face, right? Yeah, no it, it, it's so, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, so, yeah. it's it doesn't work very well now. But that's the only one I think I really feel that way about. So my least favorite one is like the skeleton ghost lady coming out of the um, closet casket, or yeah, the casket in the no, closet. No, 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 yeah, not right. the one who falls out of the casket because we'll get to that in a little bit. But those, that's one yeah, of the real yeah. skeletons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm talking about. Let me see. I have a photo here to show you actually. Um, it's a, it's like one of the closet portal ones. Do you know what I mean by that? Like uh like I have a picture of it. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. that one that um she's like spider like. Oh yeah, yeah. That one that looks one bad. That doesn't hold up to that me. That looks bad. No, and You're I right. do think um maybe some of the unevenness in the effects could be like a con of the collaboration. You know what I mm -hmm. mean? Of like one director having one vision and the other being, it's like some of the th some of the things look really realistic and terrifying, and then some of them are so cartoonish. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like uh, the spinning room. I thought when the um, furniture was spinning around, I'm like, that looks like Roger that Rabbit. That looks really, yeah. yeah it, like, uh, that looks like a cartoon land. That was the other one. That's like even my brother. Like, you can't justify that now. It still looks like, it's, you know what doesn't help is when it gets upscaled to 4K so you can really see how fake it looks. <laughs> yeah, that's you know? true. I kind of thought of Ghostbusters a little bit mm -hmm. where I'm like, it, it, it. I can appreciate how exactly. hard this was, but I'm starting to see the age a tiny bit yeah. here and there. But, I mean, there's other moments that I think hold up and still look amazing. Like, the house imploding on itself, that's amazing. Yeah, that I looks good. That. I think one of the effects that I really wanted to bring up that was a standout for me is just how the portal that opens and how it starts, I guess, quote-unquote, sucking everything. The you hussy. Know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> how the hussy sucks everything. Because in terms of, uh, I guess it could be wire work or everything, but I didn't um, it'd just be interesting, really how well it it's it, it, it doesn't age it hasn't aged very badly yeah you're talking about the hussy right the, yeah the, well spielberg described it as an esophagus like the house's throat so the, hussy. the throat goat but um <laughs> the interesting thing <laughs> the interesting thing about that is that that's a miniature so like nice it was just cut right into it perfectly and it's honestly so seamless like when you're watching it you would assume like okay they just built some you know, freaky hole in the wall. A, vacuum. There's a bunch of Yeah, shit on the other side. I think they did use a vacuum, actually. But the fact that that's a miniature, so good. Yeah, I think that's, um, I mean, obviously that's probably how the house uh, collapsing is done also, right? Well, I, I have some stuff on that. Okay. So oh, Frank right. Marshall, I can get to it now. The, Frank Marshall, the producer, when Spielberg had to told him about this shot, he called it the $250,000 shot. Okay. Right? So that's how much that one scene cost. Um, took forever, obviously. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I actually found this on the ILM website. Like they have little snippets about like all the movies they've made over the years. Like, this is worth bringing up. This is an accolade. Months of testing and development included rigging the detailed model with steel cables that extended into a funnel-like construction, setting up a vacuum system to capture any dust and fragments as well. Uh, the actors were shot on a blue screen set, and the optical department worked on rotoscoping the shot, putting it all together. Using a uh, an Anderson optical printer, I'm gonna pretend I know what that is. Nice, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's obviously I mean, this is just um, this is one of those movies that like invents effects. You know what I mean? And that's what ILM is like known for. Known you know, for just yeah, pushing the boundaries of movie making, which is now um, like the stuff like the Lucas Arts does. Yeah, you know what's funny is that we both think that the flying objects in the room look like shit, and they said that took nine months for them to get right. I mean, we do. I guess when we talk about like this is eighty two, right? Hey, who am I though, right? For 80, if I mean for eighty for eighty two, I mean I'm sure it was like whoa, but you know we're forty years, so you you can't you can't um, 
You know what I, I count also for thought those was things. good was, and I'm sure it's, I don't know if it's an animatronic or just like a puppet or how they did it, but the um, the tree snatching the little boy from the room. Yeah. And then like, this is one of the great pieces of writing too, is like right before the dad's like, I built the house right by this tree because it knows everything about us and it's going to protect us. <laughs> and he just yeah. gets like snatched instantly by the tree. He's like, he knows I'm here. <laughs> yeah. And the kid tells him. I like a lot of the setup and delivery in this movie. Like, uh. The little boy, when the the bird Tweety dies, he's like, can we dig her up and look at her bones? And like, yeah. that's foreshadowing the end of the fucking movie, you know? I um, I thought this movie was like genuinely funny. Like every time I rewatch it, I'm like, it's got a lot of funny shit in it. Just yeah. that 80s suburban family stuff. Like the dad, um, when he's on the phone and he hangs up and his tie is like stuck to the phone. Yeah. Like, the dad, you know what I mean? I think a two worthy moment, and I, I guess to preface this is... um. We talked about last week how Texas Chainsaw Massacre is kind of funny too, and so I do, do think that's a lot of there's a lot of Toby Hooper's like um, humor here. I did like how the parents are really cool once the kids go to sleep, right? Yeah, that was that was cool. Yeah, like Not that really, was because they're reading a book about Ronald Reagan, but, but they're like weed. exactly. I thought that was a little. It's always an interesting uh, dynamic to see in a movie like that because. We are shown like a you know a typical suburban family as we see it now, but they're pretty young apparently. So there's <laughs> she's thirty two. Yeah. So if he's supposed to be thirty two. Oh my like, god! What the fuck? But what are those other moments you're talking about? Like humor, like dad is uh, towards the end when he almost trips on the bike, and he really did almost like I was like, how did they? Do That's th- not an accident. You know. What yeah. I mean? like, <laughs> he's like fading character. He's like you little fucking shit. Oh, the kid. Yeah. That's what he wanted to say. He's like, damn it, Robbie. He's like, move that bike. I almost died. Uh, I was. I wanted to write down some of my opinions when I was watching it, and I did also think of how like they were like weed smoking hippies at night, right? Yeah. I I thought it was funny too because I was like, they become like the epitome of reefer madness. Like they're like laughing and he's jumping <laughs> off the bed, and, you know what I mean? and the kid comes and boom. My favorite part about that, though, is the kid comes and she's like, what's the matter? And she takes one last hit of the joint and then puts it out. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't care that he sees. Yeah. Oh, man, that's great. But th- yeah, that those are the those are a lot of things that I think work really well here. And um, this is is this before um, or after Raiders? Um, it's right after. So I think that's like a lot of the, the set design and a lot of um, the extra things. That's like we kind of talked about that already. But I think that's where a lot of. That where Steven Spielberg's collaborations oh, heavy yeah. on that that stuff is all Spielberg. You could tell like the room is walking product placement. Yeah, I know how you that, said the little boy reminded that's you what I was of, like the up. most of Steven Spielberg, and it's like yeah, because he just looks like hey, I'm an American kid. I'm wearing a red shirt and blue jeans and some Nikes. You know what I mean? And I just I have a Dodger hat. I have every piece of '80s product in my room. I have an alien poster, the I, thing, just, Darth yeah. Vader, a Rams helmet. <laughs> that's how I was like us being uh, in Southern California. Like wow. This kid is uh, what I wanted to be as a little kid. This is the coolest fucking kid. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, my notes for him, I put middle child, kind of lame, walking product placement, has a lot of cool shit, and basically the embodiment of every dude's inner child. Yeah. <laughs> like, right? see, Yeah, exactly. Like Steven Spielberg was uh, really, really loved this aesthetic, you know? and Classic American kid. You know, I, I can't blame him. I mean... I like shit too. Yeah, no, I, I like I like merchandise too. Yeah. I am a consumer. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, like, we still gotta sell shit here. Come but on. I do think that it's funny that the kid was so scared of stuff, but he had an alien poster and it's uh yeah, make up your mind. <laughs> yeah. Are you actually scared? <laughs> like aliens not too scary for you? Yeah, no. The movie's definitely scarier than the ghost shit happening in your real life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Man. Come on. 
but yeah this this um the effects in this movie are really good and i think um for the most part they ha- they have aged pretty well yeah that is what we were talking about huh the yeah effects. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I do know that I didn't get a chance to watch it, but there was a documentary short that they put out after making this, like the making of, mm-hmm. just because so much, so much techno technological advances went into this movie. Um, like just uh, this, this another big effect shot that was kind of a new for the uh, new for the time was when the mom, you know, like we have the third act where the house is cleansed, and then we have the fourth act where it's not really. And the yeah. mom takes the bath, and then she's in the bedroom. Yeah. She's dragged up the wall. That they they were able to do that in like all one shot, and they put the room on like some mechanism that's like where it's like moving to. Yeah, we're like the whole thing is moving. So because um, that was something I really wanted to bring up about this movie, why I think it's underrated, and um, why it became almost like one of my favorites now is um, the fact that there's like a you would call it like two hill climax, right? Like. You think it's done, and then it kind of slows down, and you're like, how is this going to wind down? And the fact that it kind of doesn't, you're like, wait, like, what's... It seems like... The fact that they obviously have to... They can't just move, and they have to kind of just stay there for a little longer, and then how much comes out of that little, I don't know, 30 minutes, 20 minutes, it's kind of would be the ending of a lot of other movies, yeah. you know? And I, I did find it really interesting that it kind of just, again, takes it there and gave you, like, oh, you thought... Just like how the ambiance is the whole time you thought it was this, and it becomes something way worse. Yeah, I mean, I just fucking love this movie the more I watch it. I'm looking at some of the photos I have here, and I don't know why. I, I really don't get why I didn't like this as much the first time, because much like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and we when we did that episode, we talked about the Evil Dead, is that this is like cartoonish horror, and I think that's what makes it so fun as well. Like it, It's scary because it's so just... It's like, <laughs> how many skeleton heads are going to pop out of a closet portal? You know yeah. what I mean? Things like that. <laughs> definitely, I think you should leave Horde, you know? Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the bones are their money. money. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. And, um, Tim Robinson could have been in this movie. It does, yeah. <laughs> he could have played every character. Um, it does live in a lane of its own, this movie, though. I do, the fact that it is... Um, a story that is so grounded in suburban America and how it kind of becomes, um, you know, the TV. I like the aspect that the TV is a portal, you know, and I like that the fact that um, what ends up evoking all of this and spoilers, I guess, is that it's a graveyard. There was a bunch of graveyards everywhere. And I think um, I just like the aspect of uh, respecting the dead, not fucking with that. Yeah. yeah, you know, And I think that this movie kind of lives in a lane of its own because of that it, it seems like a such a safe movie at one point and it turns into something else and i can't think of any t- other two movies that do that besides honestly us um, they're really yeah. like you know and you know what now that you mentioned it i, I never thought about that before but us does kind of have that classic suburban feel of like this happy family and then just the worst shit happening to them yeah i mean now you don't even really get movies like this Honestly, there's no, I can't really think of any horror movies of recent that had like, oh, the happy family. And then this is happening. This horrible thing happens to them. It's usually this fucked up family and the horror is a, a reflection of their trauma. Be like, yeah, see, because like <laughs> another movie I could think that we both watched together recently that kind of does do that, I guess. If we won't want to dismiss things is like hatching right but I, it's just so much different because seem like a happy family though. yeah because it, that's what I'm, I mean, it's, they definitely it, weren't the mother and the daughter weren't and it seems subliminal at one point you know and yeah. in terms of what the actual horror is it seems like oh at the end be like was it really there or was it all you know so 
this genre of movies does seem very aged, but when you kind of go back in terms of the best of this genre, it seems like this is probably the, the one. Have you seen Insidious? I know no. we talked about it in the horror showdown, but you haven't? Mm-mm. You do you just know about the red face demon meme? Mm-hmm. Or like the, the like the gif of it or the gif of it? Or just because it's been, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really is just like Poltergeist 2.0. You know what I mean? Like a, re- a remade version of it. Um, not surprised you haven't seen it because I know you're not the biggest James Wan fan. But <laughs> 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 um, I, I, I had brought that up in that episode as well, though, that Poltergeist or that um, Insidious is pretty much just poltergeist like shot for shot and um that kind of helped me like poltergeist more because i was like i like insidious why didn't i like this other movie and then i think that kind of pushed the envelope of like now you need to watch this again but um one of my other favorite parts of the movie i know we've been hopping around a bit is honestly the cast i think the cast yeah really carries this movie especially the parents we talked about how cool they are but they really do feel like a loving couple like at no point did i think the mom and dad were acting even though they're in a movie, you know what I mean? But kid actors are kid actors. Um, in Spielberg movies, they all feel exactly the same. You know, this could have been e. T., uh, the kid from E.T., mm-hmm. Elliot. Um, you know, I, I don't really uh, see him as a, a downside of the movie, but they're typical Spielberg kids. And if you've seen the movies, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But The 16-year-old is like whatever, too. It's not that yeah, she does a bad she fits, job. She fits the, um, the like, the... She fits the mold of, like, the sister from Ferris Bueller or, like, the older sister who's constantly trying to, like, oh, these kids are annoying me. You yeah. Know, you, know, you know, the 80s character trope. I hate my family. But <laughs> she does uh, She does obviously care. But I do think a lot of her input into the uh, like screenwriting, I would say, or a lot into the scenes isn't something that you could live without. Yeah, I, don't I mean, they're be. a stereotypical 80s American family. You know, mm-hmm. like, they live in a time of excess. Yeah. <laughs> but... One thing I wanted to say about the dad, I forgot to mention this earlier when we were talking about how, you know, he's kind of a silly guy, is that was, like, the epitome of 80s comedies. Like, your dad's a fucking moron. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, think about how many sitcoms do. It's, like, the the intro would be, like, the dad falling over and, like, oh, man, I fell. Yeah, you know what I mean? Exactly. Or, yeah, tying his tie through the phone or whatever. But he's played by Craig T. Nelson, and I'm sure most of us know him, or our first experience, if you're younger, would be Mr. Incredible. Yeah. And I don't know if you like how fast you picked that up. No, no, did think, you not really? No. I, I, cause I didn't, I didn't really look into any of the other roles. Um, no, I don't think I picked that up until so, you it up. that first scene where he is watching the Rams game with the homies and he starts arguing with his neighbors is when I was, when I noticed, I was like, Oh fuck, that's Mr. Incredible dude. And I, I don't really have too much experience um, with, like, Craig T. Nelson or his films. I mean, the only thing I really know him from is um, Blades of Glory. He played the their coach. Oh, that's true. Yeah, so yeah, he's their that, coach. That, yeah. Um, I know originally he was a comedian first, and then he became an actor. And I think he has amazing line delivery throughout this entire film, honestly. Like, his, his uh, key moment, I would say, is when he's yelling at his boss. And he's just like, you move the body. He's like, you move the headstones. You didn't move, move the bodies. bodies. That's so fucking good. What? <laughs> <laughs> and I know we keep talking about this movie. Oh, it's a little underrated. I don't know if underrated is the right term, but I don't think it's as appreciated now as it was then. Like That's it true. was in the cultural zeitgeist, you know, like yeah, because we talked about all these parodies, and it's got one of the most iconic lines ever, too. The little girl, there he, yeah, yeah, like, and that's one of the first lines in the movie. But yeah, I think that's enjoying a good point. the cast overall, great performances. But go ahead again. No, I was gonna say in terms of the cast, I did really like 
the older lady who comes at the end and kind of knows it, what's going oh, on. Uh, Zelda Ru- Rubenstein is her name. Yeah. yeah. I really liked her character. She goes on a little tangent in terms of trying to explain everything that to the audience. Is so good. Yeah, and yeah. it's re- it's really good. It's to like, us. It's a beast. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> for for a character like a, a quote unquote character who gets introduced in the late second, third act, third act, yeah, um, to have a monologue like that and for it to work, and then you also be kind of explained what you're going, you, you, what's going on, because at this point, I'm sure everybody watching it, we're watching it in retrospect, forty years or whatever when I first watched it, but you kind of know where this movie's going and where it's heading and what it's about. You could imagine, know? yeah, but you yeah. still don't really know. And so I think when you first watched it when it first came out, though, her kind of explaining things is kind of how you would feel watching the audience, like, well, what's well, what's going on, you know? Yeah. So she's brought in. We haven't talked about them yet, but um, the Zelda Rubenstein character. <laughs> Tangina Barons. <laughs> nice. She's brought in because of the first set of like paranormal investigators. Oh yeah, that's true. So it's uh her name's Dr. Martha Lesh, and she has uh two assistants, Ryan and Marty, and they're they come in to do the the first like investigation, you know, because mm-hmm. they're trying to figure out if this is a poltergeist or if the house haunted. is haunted. Yeah, and I do like that um, distinction, you know. They're yeah, like, but these are two separate yeah. things, you know. Hauntings are areas. Poltergeists are <laughs> like what do they say? I think it's something about like they attack people personally, right? Mm-hmm. It's so like good. a yeah. Um, I thought that's where someone there's a funny moment in there that I thought was really interesting that I didn't notice in uh, any of the other rewatches, like. It's not. I think she said something. It was like it's not a haunting or something, and then the it just slides across the table like the ghost is like, excuse yeah, me, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. it's not. And then she's like, well, actually, what I meant to say is it's a poltergeist. Yeah, that is funny. That's a, that little Spielberg moment. You yeah, know? like it's like the de- like whatever it is, the demon, the portal, whatever is actively being like listening. You well, know? this is a lot of things. Y- like, exactly. You know what I mean? Like it's multiple ghosts or spirits. Because it's like it's a. Uh, it's a hussy, right? <laughs> so it's a it's a hub. So it's a hub hussy. Yeah, exactly. So and you know, and, and that's why I think it lives in its little unique lane. I I can't really think of, like you said, Insidious to compare it, but it all just kind of seems like movies that they took from this. You know. Yeah, I mean, this is the blueprint. You know. Oh man, fucking Poltergeist! I I'm gonna have to come to grips with that in my lifetime that I didn't like this movie the first time I seen it. <laughs> Something that's guy that's like bugging me the more I talk about it. You know, oh, it. I just think, like you said about hereditary before, sometimes um, you grow to have more taste or you grow to like different things, you know, and you seek for different things in horror at different times in your life, I think. Yeah, I mean, I did watch this too right before my daughter was born. So like the family aspect of it, which is what I love about hereditary too, which is, I don't know, maybe that's maybe that's something I'm connecting in my head, man. I'd rather have a podcast than go to therapy, but I don't know why these family haunting movies hit me badly the first time, and then the second time I'm like, actually, this is my life. And then you really like you really like us too, right? Yeah. So, oh like, no, what the so, fuck is going on? So uh, no, because that was another good aspect I wanted to compare between the two, and how we always kind of compare Steven Spielberg and Jordan Peele, and the terms of uh, the character and us being so much like the dad in this movie. Yeah. And like you said, just Your like the goofiness. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's i guess when you watch it in retrospect it it is refreshing to see a horror movie that could be that could go, get get so out there out of something that the era that it was made in and i guess that, that like you said the fact that steven spielberg's um him the effects and all of the props that are used and everything i think that's what really elevates this movie 
Yeah, I mean, we haven't really talked about the plot of the movie too much, but yeah. I think we should at least kind of give a, ble- a brief explanation as to what the hell is going on in this movie. That's so, true. The Freeling family, right? They're yep. your classic American family. They live in a like um, a developed neighborhood. You know what I mean? Like every house is exactly the same. Um, that Spielberg touch, it looks just like E.T., which mm-hmm. is being made literally at the exact same time. Um, don't they look like they were filmed in the same neighborhood? Like yeah. as if he was just hopping back and forth. On the other side? <laughs> yeah. I always uh I always like picture that that like s- I I don't even really like ET that much, but I always pictured that su- like perfect suburban neighborhood in my head. You yeah. know what I mean? And you get that here as well. But he's a real estate developer, he's super successful. I think at one point they say he's like in charge of like forty two percent of the sales that have happened in this place. Big dog. Yeah. <laughs> Top G. Top G, big dubs. Yeah. Uh you know, he's got a perfect little family. You know, he's got this amazing fun wife. She's young, she's attractive, she smokes weed. Yeah. I mean, this guy's living the American dream, right? Um Right away from the jump, we get this weird interaction with his daughter talking to the TV. You know, we haven't really talked about the daughter much, but she drives the whole plot and That's true. supernatural element of this movie. You know, she yeah. really carries the entire movie, honestly, because it's on it's all built on the back of her disappearance. Again, relatable to the aspect that um, obviously the parents care about her so much. It's the innocency of trying to get her back and what you have to experience. Yeah, to do that. I mean, what we talked about with Texas Chainsaw Massacre with not liking it was that the characters are just so empty. Like they're just there to get killed, honestly. Mm-hmm. But here they take the time to, you know, build characters that you care about and you do really care for these people, especially because you realize how like not realize it sounds weird, but you see how much these parents care about their kids yeah. and stuff like that. Like even though they might be getting high at night, <laughs> you know, he's still got time to um, you know, stop his kids from being scared. Like he has that sweet moment with his son about the the thunder you know like this is what you do to see if it's getting farther away from you you know he he tries to tuck in the little girl he has a small comedic moment with his teenage daughter about get off the phone but you can see everything's going well in this house and then you know they're punished for being a happy family because <laughs> i think that's what the the feeling when i was talking about the themes of like suburbia like this film evokes so well is because in terms of you really feel that this family has moved out there and this uh you know the dad is doing really well because being in a suburbia is safe and you're kind of not going to have to worry about the things in the city. And I always feel like the, the family really shows that. And I feel like the movie really does a good way of just kind of do the shots where they show this suburbia, giving you that feeling that this is all tranquil. This is all supposed to be people here, you know, just Nothing's like supposed, is supposed to happen. Nothing of this sort. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's why when we get the, obviously the juxtaposition of things going really bad or what can what actually underlies in this town is why it works so well because it's 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 set in such a safe place and and it feels that way yeah um so the the daughter she can communicate with the spirits or the ghost through the television static um which is a dated concept now this would not work Mm -hmm. but you know I'm not gonna. I'm not judging it or anything. I'm not trying to come at it like cinema sins. Like this wouldn't work now. Yeah. But um, you know, I I I really like it, and I remember I TV static as well. So like it's that's weird. always going to be nostalgic for me. Is like waking up and seeing it, and it's almost like here's more of that Spielberg touch. You know, you're scared of the water because of sharks, even though you've never seen Jaws. 
Like, so you don't even understand why you're scared of the water, but just instinctually. So I used to feel that way about the TV static too. I would always turn it off. I wouldn't be like, I'm just going to go to sleep with it on. I get you. Yeah. You know, it's like those, those intrinsic fears that he knows, like it's just something off about that. And now we have it with clouds with nope, you know, (laughs) TVs were so much, uh, bigger before and they had so much more components in them that they were more imposing than they are now like they would be like that was the centerpiece of a room you know and and it seems like there was like a portal it was shaped more like a portal it had more portal quote-unquote science going behind it (laughs) yeah now it just really does look like a picture boring it looks like a frame yeah a frame on a wall and that's why it doesn't work but again that's why i really like this movie it's one of its uh I think more popular posters is the girl kind of just standing in front of the static in the dark. Yeah, she's got her hands up to it. It's like she's like a Praise monkey it. in fucking 2001 worshiping yeah. the monolith. Midsommar. <laughs> yeah, with the ruins. Yeah. It's sick. So, um, yeah, I, I do think that, again, that's why this, this movie works so well for me is it, it's from a period that I think this concept doesn't get too many horror horror films that are like this in that era and because this seems so you know that reagan america that type of feeling that or how people felt in that era and yeah i've never seen it really turn a quote-unquote sour as it turns in this movie yeah i mean it's it's about a family that is winning in life you know and yeah exactly fucking turns on them just because they happen to live on a, a ancient burial ground. And even I think they're cool, so like why? What <laughs> they, they do deserve to deserve this. this? <laughs> oh man. But I mean, later on we discover our big reveal. Or well, I don't want to get there yet actually. But you know, so the daughter can communicate with these spirits and things start going afoot in the night, you know? Yeah. Um s- small, small things at first, like chairs sliding in the kitchen, um, glasses breaking. You know, it's a real slow build up. And I didn't appreciate that the first time, but I do like it, you know, the more I watch it. It seems on purpose now more meticulous because it's like it winds up, you know. Yeah, it, especially when you know what it's going to get to. It's a little car moving and then it gets hey, to. That's one of the things in the movie that they, <laughs> what does he say? <laughs> like the guy Ryan, he's like, I measured the po- the positronic vibes, you know. What I mean? Yeah. <laughs> of the little moving car and it took eight hours to go across the floor. You wouldn't have noticed it, yeah. but I did. Yeah. <laughs> bozo yeah <laughs> i caught it on my time lapse camera. but uh so my iphone does that now we have one big event that the little girl goes missing she gets you know sucked into the hussy but after that is where it really starts ratcheting up and they invite these paranormal investigators the dad realizes what his company has been doing uh moving the headstones but not moving the body so they do live on a, a burial ground and i think it's funny because his boss is basically the mayor's the mayor from jaws you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Nobody ever complained before. <laughs> it's like, come on. There's no issue. He's just incompetency. He's just like, give what it up to. What do you think Cuesta Verde was built on? And I do like that name as well. It's like Cuesta such an 80s yeah. like developmental unit name. It's because like where we live around, there's a bunch of little places called like that. Yeah. You know, that has those names. Why I like it. Yeah. And so it, that's what this film does really good with, with me personally, just having grown up as a suburban kid. It just resonates. Yeah, I know. I, I was going to bring that up, too, because I grew up in the suburbs and I had that perfect little Steven Spielberg existence for a while. So I always have thought about the not that, that this could happen to me, but 
when you are that bored, you kind of make up things. The ultimate, you know because like the ultimate horror at that point would be for the craziest thing to happen, you know, and just in like an us again, just comparing these two, be like, uh, are twins of us showing up, you know, and then here, same thing, just like, well, the house that you're on is the port, it's a hussy, huh? And it's the portal <laughs> it's a, it's to a like, to hell. <laughs> and it's a portal to very, very various things. And so, that's why it works so well and and that's why i think it resonates with me the more that i grow up because it is in terms of an a reachable type of goal that you you do want that serenity for your family so yeah. it, it becomes like that would be the worst <laughs> thing that could happen um i like how at the end it becomes like the entire neighborhood too because you don't see it you never see it from anyone else's perspective like you would um in some other movies like uh Every it, it does become like apocalyptic for this neighborhood towards the end. Yeah, you know I mean? exactly. Like when they're escaping, the fire hydrant is just like shooting like a fountain of fire out of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. The whole neighborhood is witnessing this house implode on itself, but you don't really ever see if it happens to the rest of the neighborhood. Because this, it could from what we're like what we know, you know, like it wasn't like this burial ground was just their house. Yeah. It must have been the entire. Obviously. Like, uh, they say it's like 300 acres. Because that's what he had mentioned when they went up to see where he wanted him to move, which he was going to move him into another house that he was just going to remove the headstones with. That was, <laughs> was funny. Like, you see these headstones? It's going to be your new house. But now you'll have like higher ground, so it'll be a nicer view, you know? Um, I did think that was funny that you bring that up, um, the relationship with the neighbor. That scene is pretty funny with the mosquitoes and just like the really, like the neighbor, like the way that he's acting. He's like, I, we've never had any problem with any mosquitoes. And they're like, can you they almost like look at the camera? Like, can you get this? Can are you checking this guy out right now? Like, is this guy for real right now? <laughs> the neighbor is funny. And the, like the, they're arguing about the TV. He's like, you could change it. He's like, well, you could too. Yeah. He's got the cigar. He's like, move your set. So I, you know, again, uh, it's interesting to watch it 40 years after in terms of we like sports too 40 years removed now we're watching the same uh, rams heads you know it seems even more like they were gone for so long and now 40 years later yeah, now it's relevant again i'm one of the fellows yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> wait am i in this movie yeah, huh? exactly. yeah and, and that's what i mean maybe that's why this movie the older i get it just resonates a little more yeah it's just i mean it's an amazing movie it's a great horror movie i love every element of it but i think it's so comfortable even though it's a horror movie like I, it's it's very comforting. Like the I love the house. It's it's one of my favorite movie houses that I've seen, and I think it beca it's yeah. because it reminds me of like eighty sitcoms or like even the way the dad dresses. Like I wrote down for his character description that I thought he was a drip god. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like in the beginning, he's wearing the flannel and the trucker hat, and later on, he's got like a nice sweater jeans combo going on. I just. He, uh, when the, when he goes to meet the paranormal investigators the first time, he's wearing like a nice like thick white cardigan. I just I love his drip. This Perfect house dad. connecting it to other movies that we love in the podcast. This house is the little houses that Tony Collette builds in Hereditary. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and I did think that um, just the Steven Spielberg touch here. So many of these rooms are just they're so nice. You know, yeah, I the, mean a lot of work in the set design. And so obviously they make make bigger rooms because they want to get these crazy camera angles right and like again taking it back to the dolly zoom shot of um the, the them looking down um the i kind of forget what it is actually but that it just in terms of being able to make the room look so long yeah you know what i thought was a funny com uh comparison was the contrast between the uh the little boys and sisters well they share a room so like half of it's princess half of it's just boy boy stuff quote unquote right um, but 
the I thought of the human furniture in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. How different the, that must have felt for Toby Hooper, you know? I was going to say, you know, in terms of we were talking about winding it up, winding it up the horror more and more as the movie progresses, which, you know, I think it's an hour 50, right? It's an hour 54. Yeah. Um, it feels long in a good way. Yeah. Okay. So that was my problem. The first time I was like, this feels like two and a half hours, but it, yeah. it feels fast now when I watch it. Yeah. It feels, um, I don't know. Like I did notice, like I, I thought it felt a little longer. Maybe it's because I've been watching these seven, 70 minute horror movies, you know, maybe that's what it has to do with, but I was enjoying it. But, but to kind of go back to what I was saying is the fact that we kind of just start off with the little cars moving and the chairs but then we kind of get like the meat walking across the cursed steak yeah and it just kind of becoming all um disgusting and rotten that kind of reminded me of what would be in a texas chainsaw massacre yeah. and i kind of really thought i was like i wonder how much obviously the influence he had in terms of maybe that's one of the ones he was like i i need to I, have this yeah this was mine <laughs> you know and yeah and and from there it goes on and gets crazier and crazier and that's why i think the <laughs> that's funny i'm thinking about that now like toby hooper pushing for the steak he's like no this has to be in the have movie you ever heard him talk like have you heard his like super deep voice i had i'd heard it's him like, really deep and gravelly you had the interview on it before the texas chainsaw massacre <laughs> i could picture him being like steven we must have the cursed steak <laughs> i have an affinity for meat yeah <laughs> <laughs> He's like that'll be easy, huh? I need to have meat in yeah. my movies. <laughs> that'll be an easy effect at Amblin. <laughs> Trust me, the it's boys just, at ILM could do this. It's just a, it's just an easy meat, curse meat, quick meats. Yeah, come on. Oh uh, man, good time. I fucking, God, I, I don't understand why this movie isn't talked about more. You know, I think like, what you, I, I know people do talk about it. Like we said, it's been been there, done that, but. It's just like a well. It's like, keep taking from this. This is just so fucking good. I think what you talked about was a good point that um, this movie did have its time where people were relevant to. I think, again, going back to people went to movies before a lot more. And so obviously this was a topic of discussion for a good while in the 80s, I would imagine. And we still live the spoofs that we see. And I've seen so many of them. But obviously people even that are writing family guys, Seth MacFarlane or whatever, are older people. So I do think in relevancy of now, it does seem like even the remake, it, it didn't really ignite people to go watch it anymore. And the 40th year, even now, it seems like those things are very, just because we're very involved in looking at that news or because we like these movies so much, it kind of seems like we're around for a lot of the big markers for these movies. Yeah, and we got The Godfather. We did Jaws this year. Now we got Poltergeist, you know. And then even, I think the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was at like, 30 or something so no, it's, it's, it's even more because it's older than. oh this. yeah that's true so you know I, that's I, like 45 almost so I, I i think it's interesting just to see um a lot of these like we we're talking about before steven spielberg toby hooper toby hooper's not with us anymore right oh i don't believe so yeah <laughs> and so um steven spielberg is getting to that age too so these movies are from directors that are 20 years from now they're not going to be here and it's kind of up to I would say people who love these movies so much to keep them in relevancy. How much that happens, who knows, right? Have you heard about the like cursed aspect of this movie? That this movie had some premature deaths involved? And um, I think that kind of goes back to a point 
that I know you wanted to touch upon. I had kind of heard about it, and then it kind of does with the. I know you had notes about like the skeletons and everything. Okay, well, yeah, th- yes, that. But um, I, didn't, I didn't really know how to approach it because I didn't want to like. I don't want to like diminish it or whatever. But two of the actresses died after making this movie. So the teenage daughter, she was like she was younger, right? And um, three months after this movie came out, she was strangled to death by one of her ex boyfriends. Holy. And that the little girl died six years later of like a really like nasty like parasitic infection. That's oh just, wow! Yeah, you know what I mean. Like I didn't know how to bring it up in a. I wasn't trying to bring it up in a joking way or anything. But no, but I think it's in just terms weird of coincidence, uh, that kind of does tie into what I know some of the stuff that you had. The fact that there is um, just like even real skeletons in this movie for that scene where they are where the pool should be which is a good scene also first when they're trying to look for the little girl when they think she's in there and then later when they end up in it when things get really again when the movie is bumping up that horror aspect and you're like whoa that's because even when i was when i first watched it i was like those look those look uh pretty good it's like (laughs) they they don't look like you know some of the fake skeletons because you were talking about the effect for the one that's like floating you know it looks bad yeah. But then these are it's like oh okay so they they use actual onset skeletons but so they got them from like a medical store or like I don't know how you would even go about this but you know like when you go to a science class in school they have the real human skeleton exactly there, and they're like usually all polished and bleached and like bolted together and stuff so um, it's an interesting story honestly that two writers who I guess were were somewhat somewhat attached to poltergeist or they had a script that was similar to poltergeist they ended up suing steven spielberg for similarities of the story that they had like 67 points of familiar familiarity that they were basically saying he ripped it off so i don't know why the um set like the like the prop designers were involved with this case at all but in a deposition um one of the prop guys admitted that the skeletons are real because they're cheaper to get and that it's usually like they usually get them from India for some reason. So basically there's like 13 Indian skeletons in this movie, which I don't know about you, but that does seem like bad vibes. I will say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Even though they were, these were all people. Well, I don't know here in America, you sign up to be, a, like, I want to donate my body to science. Right. But so I don't a lot know of if that, that means being in so movies. I was going to say, I was going to say, would they have done it if they knew they were going to be in Steven Spielberg, Toby Hooper's, Poltergeist, right? It's because it's like as American, maybe, maybe, maybe like, yeah, exactly. My body was used after, you know. Only my skeleton is good. You know, I always think that too about the people who like who's offering their like infant babies to like, yeah, you can take my two week old and put them in a movie. (laughs) Yeah, like okay, sure, yeah, Yeah. it's not them anymore. But uh, yeah, I mean, I I've heard that the the cursed aspect too carries on to like the sequels. Like, there was a um, cast member in the sequel that was Native American who performed an exorcism on the set of the second movie oh, because of the, the bad energy going on. But I, I, we talked about that, too, with The Exorcist. Like that's the yeah. other movie that kind of has these rumors or weird coincidences. We brought it up with John Landis, too. Yeah, <laughs> those are a little different. Yeah, but yeah. different. But that uh, it, negligence. <laughs> the real trauma was negligence. There is a connection here that between those two movies. I'm glad you brought it up because in terms of really liking the house, that's the other really house that I can compare it to. The one in The Exorcist. Not that it's a really nice house, but it always stands it out to me. It is. It's a nice Georgetown house. I mean, she's got the bag. She's an actress. That's true. But yeah, Georgetown is a nice area. It's just it's a it's a it's a house that always stands out to me, especially because 
when we went to Universal, we hey. quote unquote stepped on it, you know. And <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I'd be interested to go to a poltergeist on set. Um, they maze. had it before, I guess. It's like it's one of the ones that they bring back every now and then, right? Yeah. But unfortunately, we did not get that chance. But that would have been so much fun. Yeah. There's so many of the like I'm just thinking of thinking of it from that perspective, of like I w- I mean the the skeleton spider lady thing that comes crawling out of the portal like that'd be so good to see that in person like pop out at you yeah oh man I mean I'm kind of ready to wind it down I had a lot of fun talking about this movie um, I don't know how much more you have to say about it but this is a fucking banger I don't even know if we added anything <laughs> like of a, a value to the to the conversation yeah to the conversation but I wanted to just gush about a movie I really loved this week yeah no um poltergeist like like we've i've said various times on here just it's kind of unique space for me in terms of the horror movies and it kind of really just feel like extends the palette to different things that i could see in horror and still enjoy and um still find very effective even though they're not exactly you know texas chainsaw massacre in this movie are vastly different they're different types of horror films and just like a slasher and this one seems more like a yeah, a poltergeist, a family drama. Yeah, it's got that hereditary effect, you know, of this being this great family story, and also having these really good supernatural elements. I mean, I've I've gone on enough about it, but I do think that this is a perfect movie. I mean, I I rated a five, a ten, whatever you want to call it, but I think it's just a fucking great, great movie. I think it's a beautiful collaboration between two of our best artists of the twentieth century. <laughs> Um, and yeah, and I can't wait to be a, uh, a modern champion of this movie, honestly. <laughs> and I think we kind of had talked about last week, um, Toby Hooper, this movie being better than the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, sure. like after the rewatch, it kind of solidified that for me. And, um, in terms of influential, I do think, um, for now, it seems at this current moment, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre has a little bit more influence in current, um, the current climate. But like we said, there was, it was spoofed so much, Poltergeist. So I do think overall it's even a more influential movie. It's yeah, no point just that I was getting seen at. by so many more people. It was like the number eight movie that year. So it was a big one. Um, nominated for awards and things like that, like uh, BAFTA awards, but it ended up losing to E.T. So Spielberg beating himself. <laughs> yeah. My only competition is me. I'm sure. I'm one and two. He was happy about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. But, yeah, man. I mean, if you've never seen this, this is on HBO Max. So, if you have that or, you you know, you got a couple bucks to spare and you rent it on Prime or Apple or whatever, this is definitely one worth watching. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't seen it, see it. This is like a a horror film school, you know? Like, there's so much to learn here. And if if you're someone who wants to make movies, this is a, a great, like... A well cra- a great well crafted movie in every aspect. I don't think anything's lacking. And uh yeah, man. Poltergeist, what the fuck? I how did this not get farther into our bracket, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't know, maybe you just have to, uh, it was worth the rewatch again. It it just wasn't very present in my um rewatchability wasn't at the, the moment. Front of your mind. Exactly. And then in terms of cuz you know sometimes I it's like I really did like that movie but has it aged well. That is something that I think about now, you know. Mm-hmm. And 
It's weird because I could watch a movie from the 50s and think it's aged well. But there's yeah. certain movies that I've watched from the 80s and I don't think they aged well. Yeah. You know, So I, I think it's knowing. Some people know that they were making their stuff timeless. And I could dismiss little things. not, but You can't account for little like CGI getting a thousand times better, you know, yeah. or wanting to use it so At early one point, on. Because it's not now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or like compared to what it was for this movie, you know, and what it is now. Be like, I'm. Yeah, I'm sure if Steven Spielberg could go back and change those things to look like they do now, I'm sure he would. But uh, I forgot what movie. Oh, George Lucas did that. Yeah, with Star Wars. <laughs> uh, no, I don't. I hope he would not. Yeah. So, um, which was something I I did find interesting. There's a lot of his uh, shout out to his boy in here. A lot of George Lucas love in here. You know, um, I do the product placement. Yeah, I do say that. Um, I'm glad that we've covered two of Toby Hooper's movies this month. I didn't expect it. Uh, I didn't expect that, and um, I'll personally be continuing watching another one of his today. I think, yeah, uh, Salem's Lot. That's just because oh, I like. I've these, heard of that. Yeah, I like these movies so much, so I kind of want to check it out. It seems like another one of his that gets some love. Definitely. So, all right, I would say our final verdict is watch this fucking movie. It's yeah. very fucking good. Gas. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, thank you for checking back into the Grand Cinema Hotel. Like, subscribe, comment, watch this movie. If you already love this movie, tell us how much you love it. And, uh, you know, bye-bye. Avoid the hussy. Yeah. Bye. Avoid the hussy at all costs. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>